Hey friends, if this is your first time listening to the Spillway podcast, we encourage you to start at the prologue and work your way up to this sequential episode. If you choose to forge on despite this plea, keep these four things in mind. First, we are a serial. Our work is relational, and the beginning episodes are about building trust, familiarity, and shared frameworks and contexts. And also, white people talking to white people about white people things is a newer concept for a lot of folks. We don't want to push people into the deep end. So please, save yourself the headache. We'll be here when you're caught up. Two, stay in your own lane. We build space to examine, critique, hold, and love white people as we navigate pushback and relapse in the mechanics of white supremacy and white shame within white culture and white culture alone. And that's however much we can in the fluidity of culture. Three, we're in the combined fabric of destiny. Our humanity, as Dr. King defines, is interrelated. Everyone is caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be, and you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. That's point one. Point 3.5, we are a piece of the broader racial justice movement. We're not trying to divert resources nor claim that we're a one-stop shop. Being in cross-cultural community, educating ourselves, and being in good relation is unquestionably vital to our work. This show is about white people, cleaning and mending our own section of the fabric and the work we need to do before, during, and after showing up in shared spaces. And lastly, one right way. This form of grounding empathy, compassion, patience, and understanding at the core of white culture may or may not work for everyone. That's okay. There are other resources out there. We all share the same goal as beautifully defined by Adrienne Marie Brown to create a world where everyone experiences abundance, access, pleasure, human rights, dignity, freedom, transformative justice, peace. We long for this. We believe it is possible. We're trying this approach, but that doesn't mean that it's the best or right approach for you. If it doesn't apply, let it fly. And with that, for better or worse, we began entering the spillway. Like, because that's been so frequent, I'm wondering like what or how that lands if we like play the entire focus group and don't stop it when there's something that we want to say or like want to analyze in that moment or like talk through. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because that's how I'm seeing it show up in other spaces, one. But then two, um, I am terrified Mm -hmm. that someone's going to take this episode out of context. I mean, they're going to anyway. And I have to start believing that they're not. We now have safety mechanisms in place at the top of the episode that's asking them to go back to the beginning. If they don't, that's their problem. And then there's, did you hear the whole disclaimer? Sure did. So there's that disclaimer. Then there's the second disclaimer when we do the, like the introduction piece. Mm -hmm. So if they are still taking it out of context, I don't, I'm, I'm not holding myself accountable to that anymore. Why were you doing that anyway? Because I wanted to have people like receive it however they could. Mm-hmm. And so now that there's like two pieces in there, if they're still coming in and scooping things out of, out of context, fuck them. Right. That's yeah. where I'm at. Nope. 
it was more of like a fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice. Now it's shame on you. That's kind of like where I'm at with the, with the piece. Fair. Fair. And so in holding this, I just feel like we're going to be able to talk a lot more about what the individual said as they're saying it Mm -hmm. versus this kind of like larger reflective, what were the main takeaways kind of deals? Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts, feelings, and reactions? Um, I'm here for whatever you need. Um, I think no matter again, and we, I just said this, I think no matter, or you said, just said this, I think no matter what we do, somebody's can take a sound bite from anywhere and just like fucking right. make it whatever they want. Right. So regardless of how many disclaimers we have, mm-hmm. um, I think if we're gonna interject into the, the, conversation like that's what you're thinking of right like somebody says something and then we go oh that's problematic or whatever the fuck we say Mm -hmm. and then unpack it is that what you're thinking a little bit yeah so i think that's a great idea um i do think that that's going to make it really long even longer than when we just did the intro unless you have specific things that we're saying um no um so we can do it and then you can cut it down if you want but I don't know. I imagine this is a two-part episode still. So. Okay. Yeah. So so then, yeah, whatever you want to do, I'm here for. Okay. Um, I just don't know. How are we going to do this? Are we gonna, Do we have hand signals? Like, are we going to listen to it and then in real time and then? Yeah, I think we'll listen to it in real time and then do the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, how about for the intros at least? Mm-hmm. Um, we'll let each person kind of introduce themselves and then in between each of them, we'll do like a pause, stop, pause, stop. That's fine. If we just say at the top, we, we've already recorded this. We've already like, we've already come out with a way to talk about the focus group and we're revising that as we are experiencing, yeah, this like really literal reminder of the violence of white nationalism, mm-hmm. white male nationalism. Mm-hmm. And so trying to be more thoughtful and intentional about how we put this forward means that we're going to use the thing that we've already created and then cut that up into small, more digestible bites so that we can have more fuller conversations to make this more relational. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. A whole, whole lot of data is about to come your way. And upon listening to this episode a few times in the post-production process, I just want to name that it might be easier for folks to look at the show notes or the Spillways website, which has all of this data written out. The focus group starts at around the 13-minute mark for folks who just want to skip ahead, or you can try it out. And if you get lost, just know the 13-minute mark is your anchor back into the swing of the episode. I really just thought that it was really important to have this data collected and put into one place to kind of encapsulate what we know as a base about white men before talking and listening to white men's lived experiences. White men, what do we know about them? What don't we know? It seems like everyone has an opinion about white men, but what do the cold hard facts say? 
And user beware, a lot, a lot of data is about to come your way. And I'm going to try to go slowly. If it's helpful, all of this data with links may be found on our website at thespillway.org. But before we begin, I just want to say that I'm painting a picture with data. One of my favorite classes in my undergraduate was a statistics course where, among many things, we spoke at length about the human bias which creates and presents data. I can tell you that 44.3% of white men have college degrees, which is more than any other race and gender except for white women and Asian men and women. I can also tell you that 55.7% of white men don't even have college degrees. A majority of white men have never been to college. Both of these statements are accurate. 44.3% and 55.7%. But they both evoke different emotions, don't they? One says, oh, you're fine. You have it better than other people. The other says, whoa, that's more than I would have thought. One says, let's compare people. The other says, let's build empathy. And this isn't about either or thinking. This is about holding both simultaneously. So this is going to feel jarring. I mean, it's been a doozy putting it all together, but I think it's worth it so that we can hold the complexities of the human condition within like the white male experience. So let's just start here. How many white men are there? The U.S. Census Bureau reports that white men make up 30% of the U.S. population. 30%. And this number is going to be important, a lot of it, because we're going to work in percentages for the most part. But does this number surprise you? Is it lower? Is it higher than you imagined? 30%. You select 10 U.S. citizens at random. Three of them will be white men. Let's go deeper. According to the bipartisan Reflective Democracy Campaign, and this is just a group which kind of recaps elections, as of the 2020 elections, white men make up 58% of the U.S. House of Representatives, 60% of statewide officials, 63% of county officials, 67% of U.S. senators, 72% of elected prosecutors, 76% of governors, and 91% of sheriffs. I told you, a lot of data. We just started. But what does this say when we're talking about social power or electability and white men? Despite making up 30% of the U.S. population, white men also make up 61.8% of the U.S. prison population. 51.7% of all mass shootings since 1966 have happened at the hands of white men, more than any other race and gender. What does this say about our criminal justice system and white men? According to the CDC, white men are more likely to have heart disease than any other by race or gender, and this is nearly 8% of all white men. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention finds that middle-aged white men have the highest suicide rates of any race or gender. Suicidality increases even further if a white man is unmarried, and even more so if the white man has a high school diploma or less. The life expectancy of white men, according to the CDC, is 75.5 years old, and that's lower than Asian and Hispanic men and women's life expectancies, as well as Black and white women's life expectancies, all of which are in the upper 70s, lower 80s. 
what does this collection of data say about the life of white men? Of business owners in the US, more than any other by race and gender are white men at 41%, and that's according to Forbes. The Center for Employment Equity out of the University of Massachusetts Amherst finds that white men's advantages are weaker and sometimes absent in occupations that require educational certification. Educational requirements favor women's employment. And for working class jobs, white men face considerable employment competition from minority men in these same states with large minority workforces. Lastly, they find that white men have advantaged access to high paying white and blue collar jobs in most states. PBS reports that 319 of the nearly 400 people arrested at or in connection to the insurrection at the US Capitol are white men. 79.9% hold this figure when you hear that the odds of sending an insurrectionist was six times higher in counties where the percent of non-Hispanic whites declined in the population. That among Americans who believe that Blacks and Hispanics are overtaking whites, it increases the odds of being in the insurrectionist movement threefold. That among conservative Americans, the fear that Black and Hispanic people will have more rights than white people increases the odds of being in the insurrectionist movement twofold. All of this data comes from the Chicago Project on Security and the Threats out of the University of Chicago. Speaking of universities, 55.7% of white men do not have a college degree. Let's revisit the figure that white men account for 30% of the US population. When you hear these figures from the FBI, it's their uniform crime reporting program. And it's showing that white men are disproportionately arrested in nearly every single category that they control for. 71% of all arrests made for arson are by white men. 72% of all sex offenses from white men. 68% of rape, white men. 78.4% of liquor law violations, 81% of DUIs, 61.9% of aggravated assaults, 68.1% of burglaries, 65% of fraud, 62% of embezzlement, 67.6% .6 of vandalism, 54.4% of illegally carrying or possessing a weapon, 70.6% of drug abuse, 67.4% of offenses against family and children, 63.7% of disorderly conduct, white men. Hold these numbers when you hear that more white men than any other race and gender except white women receive food stamps or the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program benefits, SNAP benefits, we call them, at 15.5%. Of those who wrote, edited, drafted, voted, debated, and passed the U.S. Constitution's first 15 amendments out of the 27 that we currently have in 2022, the governing document by which all other laws are evaluated on their legality, 100% were done by white men. This is a lot of data. And this data isn't just numbers. It's people's lives and hearts and bodies. Let's just take a moment to appreciate that we have this data. Well, maybe appreciate feels like the wrong word. Maybe it's about appreciating how we very rarely put these numbers together in the same conversation. 
the good, the bad, the concerning, the scary, the sad, the in-between, the fuller picture of white manhood. Hold these figures, hold this data as we go into this conversation. So do you want to tee all this up? I would love to. It was um, coordinating. Let's see. Let's count. Mm -hmm. Um, There was me. There was you. Mm -hmm. There was Jay. There was T. There was Tej. And there was Sam. So what is that? Six? Mm -hmm. Six people's schedules. That was something. That was fun. Um, We're all in different parts of the U.S., I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had to bebop in and out because of the thing. So, but I, I was there for, for the questions. And so what we did was we had them all come in and we said, hello. And I think you told them what we were doing and they're all really nice and, and, and here for it, which I wasn't expecting. And so then they all went away and we invited one person at a time into like the room, you know, the zoom room. Um, And we, I asked them a series of questions you know, name, well, you know, fake name, um, date of birth or age and all that. Um, and they answered them some in more detail than others, um, which is fine. And it was, it was interesting. Um, and then, then, then the, after that, we did that with everybody individually. And then the focus group was we invited everyone back into the main zoom room and you started out with the COVID question. I think the only thing that I want to add that's a really great tee up to this is we did all of this as confidentially as possible. Oh yeah, absolutely. So I met with one person and that one person then created this kind of like a really beautiful bouquet of like experiences and uh, demographics within white manhood to come together and have this conversation. Um, and so Jenny and I really don't know any of these humans outside nope. of this conversation. One of them I met previously once before to talk about this. And then we emailed a couple of times to try to like get this together. Um, but a lot of that was so that they could speak openly and freely about their experiences. And then when mm-hmm. we share it, it cannot be traced back to anybody. Which is important given cancel culture, for sure. Right. Well, I think, too, there's this other piece of they are bigger and larger than themselves. They they represent their culture and their community as white men. Right. In this podcast, in this podcast episode. Right. So they uh, you're hearing one voice, but that one voice is representative of whiteness and white culture, which helped you raise and socialize and educate these white men about what's coming out of their mouths. And so like one of the things that we love to do in white culture is individualize everything. Oh, well then that's your experience. That's your experience. That's your experience. But we're completely missing that so many other people share our experience. Right. I just want to make sure that when we're talking about these men, we're understanding and experiencing them as a reflection of white culture and white men, not as an individual experience. I think okay. that's what I'm like trying to like put the point home on. And sorry. And why is that important? Because I think a lot of people are going to listen to this and go, oh, well, then that's just that one person's experience. 
oh, mm-hmm. that doesn't like equate to all white manhood. That's mm. just that one person's thing. And yeah, it's not going to be every single white man on the face of the earth or within the United States, but it will be a sizable portion. Sure. Okay. Does that make more sense? It does. I just, no, yeah, that was perfect. Um, so, you know me, I have a hard time when people are like, you know, fuck individual experience. Mm-hmm. Like it bothers me. Right. I'm not saying that we don't have collective experiences or there aren't through lines yeah. to experience. So I just, that's, that's my, my thing, right. I guess. So that's why I'm kind of like, Ooh, I'm a little uncomfortable with that, but it's fine. Uh, so, yeah. okay. so we don't need to worry about that. No, but again, if you're having that experience, much like you're having that experience, other people are going to have that exact same experience of no, this is their individual experience and we have to honor their I think there needs to be space for both, right? But I think what what you're saying, and I think what you're saying right now is that the most important piece of this is that these folks are coming together in a shared experience of male whiteness in the U.S. Right. And I think that that's important. So, Mm -hmm. so absolutely, I think that's important. I probably just needed to say it out loud. Yeah, Yeah, I appreciate that because it is... Again, for me, the tick, the TikTok experience, the TikTok phenomena. You think you're so isolated and insular in your individual experience, and then suddenly you see thousands of other people going, "Oh my God, I have this exact same thought, experience, behavior." Right. And you go, "Oh fuck! Wow, I thought it was so <laughs> unique and special, and I'm not." But you are, and you're not, <laughs> right? right? Both you and are. both, both and. and hold the multitudes. Hold the multitudes. All those multitudes. Somebody call Walt Whitman. Um, well, I think this larger thing that also has to be part of this conversation is we are not clinicians. We don't have that language. Like that's just not part of our um, personhood or education yeah. or training in any capacity. I think they know that with me. Yeah. <laughs> These are just two white people talking about white peopleness without just supremacy or shame. Without supremacy or shame. And we're just kind of going, whoa. We just heard from four white people mm-hmm. who don't really have any understanding of our kind of framework. And right. we are, you know, putting them through that framework with their consent. Right. And also, I think it's something to be said that they showed up. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Because we weren't just like, we didn't just throw them in blind. Like they knew what they were. Right. Yeah. They knew what the topic was. In sure. other words. Real quick. Also, we're going to have this like little noise. That way you know that we are dropping out of the focus group and into a kind of reflective space. And then we will acknowledge when we're going back into the focus group, just so everyone's clear. You're going to hear this noise when we're about to start like holding space for what they've just said and unpacking it a little bit further. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's start this recording. Okay. First up, we have Jay. He's 36 years old, lives in a predominantly suburban slash urban leaning area, and is a social work professor with a private practice and works in community organizing. Political party, if any. Yeah, I affiliate liberal, um, but I wouldn't say I'm an extreme liberal by any means. Religious affiliation, if any. Um, Agnostic leaning atheist. Partnership status, if any. Currently uh, engaged to be married in three months. Who did you vote for in the 2016 election? 2016, I voted for Hillary Clinton. And 2020? 
uh, Biden. Ethnicity. Swedish, Finnish, Scottish. Do you have a kilt? I do. I have a family crest, actually. Not a kilt. I don't own a kilt. But oh. I have a hat with my family crest on it, which is kind of cool. That yeah. is super cool. I love That's it. That's really great. The, yeah. It looks like a newsy hat, you know, like I should sell newspapers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have the world's tiniest head, so I look hilarious in it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm so glad I snuck that question in there. Yeah, so. good work. Good work. Can you pinpoint around when your family immigrated to the U.S.? My maternal side came to Ellis Island in the late 1800s, 1880s, 1890s. Um, I don't know about my maternal side. It's That's a lot more chaotic. Okay. So are you familiar with the Kinsey scale of sexuality? Yeah, yeah okay. it's been a bit. One to six or zero to six? One to six, yep. Okay, six, no. six is completely attracted to same sex and zero is completely attracted to opposite sex. Okay, zero to six. Yes. Zero is exclusively heterosexual. Six is exclusively homosexual. And three is bisexual, like the general yeah. thing, you know, um, stereotypical knowledge of what uh, bisexual is. Then we've got one, which is heterosexual incidental homosexual tendencies then we've got two which is heterosexual more than incidental homosexual tendencies mm. three is the bisexual four is homosexual more than incidental heterosexual tendencies and five is homosexual incidental heterosexual tendencies uh given that scale what i'm hearing is i'm probably more like a two i've had some physical intimacy with men limited not super interested in it, but open to it. Okay. In your family growing up, were you raised to be racist? And the second is a two-parter. And how were you taught or how were you taught not to be racist? Mm. I grew up in the rural Midwest in Ohio. My family is not overtly racist, nor did they teach any specifically overt racialized behaviors. But I was told not to see color. So colorblindness was built into my upbringing Mm -hmm. and a disregard and a lack of understanding of systemic racial issues was absolutely a part of the world that I grew up in, a very, very white world. Which of these three ideas or movements do you most closely align with? All lives matter, Black lives matter, Blue lives matter, and why? Black lives matter because the history of racism in our country is really the foundation of the narrative of who we are as a, as a society. And I do believe maybe it's a platitude that until black lives matter, um, there won't be liberation for any of us. On a scale from one to 10, 10 being a lot or frequently, how often do you think, just think, not talk about race or racism? Uh, daily, almost in my profession. Uh, I teach courses on advanced social justice. I teach classes in narrative therapy where we're consistently analyzing the intersections of identity in therapeutic processes. I teach substance abuse classes where we talk about systems that create uh, addiction within marginalized communities, predominantly black and brown. And I run anti-racist trainings. How often do you talk about race with people of color? Probably in some way, maybe like every other day or at at a bare minimum once a week, at a maximum four or five times a week. Also, my fiance is a person of color. So we're, you know, engaged in that at the home. 
you know, I don't, I don't come home to a purely white family. So. Gotcha. Okay. How often do you talk about race with other white people? Mm, quite regularly, probably a couple times a week um, as part of my job at the university and part of my teaching. If I didn't have the teaching in the classes to do it, and I only had sort of university meetings, it might be once a week, twice a week at the most, but pretty frequently. How often do you talk about race online? In like message boards or like in Zoom? I don't know. I don't know, Lauren, what? what? Social media. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. Actually, I really, you know, as a millennial, I, I don't care much for social media. I don't know why I say millennial, but I don't care a ton for social media. I don't do a lot of postings, but I have found if I look historically, uh, I don't post photos of me at concerts or food or in my latest workout. I tend to post racial and social justice things if I post, and that's maybe once every two months. It's pretty rare. Gotcha. Okay. I don't want to, I'm careful of, um, what's the term? Oh my gosh. Um, when you just want to present an image uh, of who you are, that's anti-racist. Um, I'm drawing a blank on the term. That's okay. That works. How comfortable are you talking about race and racism in general? At this point in my life, I'm extremely comfortable. Um, five years ago, less 10 years ago, not much at all. What's your most recent level of education? Working on a doctorate as we speak. Oh, wow. Okay. You don't like to play small, do you, Jay? You're like getting married, working on a doctorate, just like. I got one life to live. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rock it till the wheels fall off. Oh, that's good. Okay. <laughs> um, one of my favorite parts at the very ending was you were like, "Do you talk about race online?" And Jay goes, "On message boards." And I was like, "Oh my god." And then he like goes on later to say like, as a millennial, I was like, buddy, you don't need to already call yourself a millennial after you thought that the only thing online was a message board. We know. We know. (laughs) With your AOL handle, (laughs) your AIM message. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I know. You know, what's crazy to me too is, and we've talked about this before. I feel like so um, social media is such a huge part of Mm-hmm. social justice at this current time in the world, or yeah. at least, you know, talking about it or making it more visible. Um, a lot of the white folks that we've spoken to don't do social media. Yeah. 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 That's like across the board almost, isn't that? Yeah. Yeah. And you'll, I think we hear that later from some of the other folks mm-hmm. on this episode. Right. And, and that's just. And also I, like, who's doing it? Right. I'm like, who's, I mean, I know people of color are doing a lot of social justice work, mm-hmm. social media, and then there's you doing the white people need to get their shit together version. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I don't know of anyone else that's doing. It's for sure a few and far and in between. Right. I mean, you might have more your finger on the pulse of who's doing that more. I mean, collectively, there's maybe, and I like this goes for like Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, I can maybe oh, think yeah. of like 15 people. Oh my gosh, I always forget about LinkedIn. Yeah. yeah. As a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that was really interesting too, and I've noticed that I do this too. Uh-oh, um, here it comes. What is that? 
is in naming our ancestry, we can like name very eloquently like one side of the family tree. But when it comes to the other side, that's um, I think Javen said like a bit more chaotic. Oh my God, yeah. We just like don't even go into it. No. But we like hold on to the one of like, oh no, I know that we came here after slavery ended. Oh. But the like the one that's a little bit more chaotic and and maybe that's just what I do. But like, right. I wonder one, if you mean, oh, sorry. Go no, ahead. sorry. Go ahead. Uh, well, I just think that it is because it can be mess, more messy and more chaotic. Mm-hmm. We can have like more roots that like deeply tie into the American enslavement system and genocide system. And so I think sometimes we like glaze over that. Like, I think in much the same way, like Jay was like, oh no, I wasn't taught overt racism, but. Right. But I was taught X, Y, and Z. But even with, but even within that, uh, but even within that change, the implicit racism isn't even named as racism. It was, I wasn't taught overt racism, but I was taught colorblind, like ideologies, but not using it as racist. See, when I heard his, when I heard him say that, it's a little bit chaotic. I was like, oh, I get you. Not on the, uh, like connection to racism level, but the, mm. like my, my family history is that the, the matriarch of my father's side told a lot of really special stories mm-hmm. that may or may not have been true. So nobody really knows. Yeah. Like we're sure that they came from Italy, but we have no idea when, um, so like when he said that, that's where my mind went. I was like, oh, did you have a sketchy relative that made up fibbers too? <laughs> yeah, I guess it could be that too. Right. I mean, there it could be the, both like, lost to history. Yeah. 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 I, I think it is. I, hmm. I just brought it up because I was like, hadn't thought of your, your thoughts before, but it's, it's true. Like who wants to bring up that stuff? I think it is because I've been in a lot of shared spaces recently with other white folks mm-hmm. who are very quick to not name their American ancestry, or like U.S. ancestry. Um, but then once you get into like small breakout rooms, they're like, oh, hey, I actually want to talk about this. And like, we're oh. totally here to hold space for it. But it's like, oh, like within a shared larger communal space, you don't feel comfortable talking about like, oh, wow. Yeah. You are a direct descendant of slave owners. Yeah. Uh, and so sometimes that's sometimes now like messy or it's complicated. Just kind of like, like just perks me up a little bit. <laughs> Your little antenna, I go up and you're yeah. like, oh, let me probe that further. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was it was interesting to hear about like thinking about racism and like not talking about racism like by himself and then with folks of color and then with other white people. Mm-hmm. And so for Jay, thinking about racism was a lot because it happens daily. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was interesting when he talks with other white people, which he said happens about one to two times a week. He says it's more frequent. Mm. Yeah. I didn't catch that at first, yeah. but you're right. Yeah. And then talking with, folks of color, I think he said one to four times a week, one minimum, four maximum. And so that would actually be more than the more frequently of one to two times. Mm-hmm. 
And so there's this weird kind of inconsistent story happening mm-hmm. around how, what, like, what is frequency? That the um, the numerical understanding of frequency changes throughout yeah. those questions. Yeah, I also wonder when when I ask the question, um, do you feel? Did what did I ask this question? Like, did we get an answer if he feels more comfortable speaking with white people or people of color? Or did I just ask the like generic, how comfortable do you feel? I think it was a how comfortable do you feel? Yeah. Okay. So I wonder what the answer to that would be. Mm, Do you feel more comfortable? Yeah. Yeah. I was also really surprised. He was like, oh, yes, very comfortable. And I was like, oh, I wonder what that feels like. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Do you not feel that for yourself? I mean, at home yeah. and with you. Right. And like, you know, but, and that's true for white people and people of color. Like mm-hmm. for me, like I don't, when people, you know, I'm, I'm actively working on addressing things when people say them, but it makes me really sweaty. Yeah. And so, but I was like, wow, I wonder how it feels to not like rain sweat from your pits when you start talking about it to somebody. Yeah. Well, and I think maybe that's because he's also a teacher. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And so there is also, I think that kind of, that advantage of it being in your curricula mm-hmm. or a textbook and saying, oh, here we're talking about it because mm-hmm. it's part of our just like our syllabi and so we're talking about it but like without that syllabi would we still be talking about it in right. the same frequency or capacity that's true also i don't speak to a lot of people every day because of the work that i do sure. so even just regular conversations are hard for me because i like forget how to talk in a normal tone of voice <laughs> that's fair yeah anyway all right let's go to the next one okay next week we have sam He's 29 years old, lives in the suburbs, and is training to go into computer coding. Political party, if any. If any, you don't. I gotta say none. None? Okay. Independent. Sure. Um, Religious affiliation, if any. Jewish. Partnership status, if any. In relationship. Who did you vote for in the 2016 election? Nobody. Um, What about 2020? Trump. What's your ethnicity? Uh, Middle Eastern. Can you pinpoint around when your family immigrated to the U.S. decade and point of origin? My grandmother is 81 and she came here when she was three. So 79 years ago puts us. Do we, do we <laughs> roughly, roughly like the Yeah, same? roughly is totally fine. We don't need like yeah. the right, exact. The 50s on, <laughs> the f- on my mother's side and then on my father's side, I think it was like the hundred and something years ago. Okay. And they both came from Middle East, the Middle East. Yeah. Uh, my father's side came from like uh, Spain, Turkey, Israel kind of situation. It's it's not certain where. Sure. And my mother's side came from Syria. Okay. Now this one, um, are you familiar with the Kinsey scale of sexuality? I, I am. I've heard of it. I've experienced people talk about it, but I don't know much about it. Okay. Jenny explains the Kinsey scale to Sam in much the same way that she did for Jay. You like I'll just give you a sum up of, of how I conduct my sexuality and you can. Sounds great. Sounds right. great. Um, I'm generally uh, only interested in women, um, okay. but I'm also 
generally only interested in men who are kind of feminine, right? Okay. But also not too feminine. Um, the way that it goes is like, when I'm perfectly sober, I'm exclusively involved with women. When I am not sober, um, if someone really catches my fancy, they catch my fancy. In your family growing up, were you raised to be racists, be racist? Or, you know, if you weren't, how were you taught not to be racist? Mm. I was taught by my mother's parents, I think is more accurate than saying I was taught by my mother, to um, to really just see people as as people. And if you look at someone as if, like, they're white or a minority, like, you're wrong because they're, they're, they're a person, right? The things that they are are more important and you'll learn from them. It's like a Jewish proverb that says like, you should drink in the dust of someone's feet, right? Like no matter who they are, even if you think that they're an idiot. And then on my father's side, my father doesn't believe he's racist, but he is so racist. So, so okay. uh, I'll, I'll go with, I stick with like my mother's side for the most sure. Which of these three ideas or movements do you most closely align with? All lives matter, black lives matter, blue lives matter, and why? Um, I'm going to have to go with that. I I can't choose any of them because I know they all have political meanings and I don't know them all like in depth enough. But as far as I'm concerned, I just want people to do whatever they want so that I can do whatever I want. And we can all just kind of like support each other and also like leave each other alone. How often do you think about race and racism? So not talk about it, but actually think about it in your head. Probably more often than not, because I think that we're going about it all wrong. Oh, gotcha. Would you say like at least once a day, maybe more? Yeah, once a day sounds about right. Okay. How often do you talk about race with people of color? Uh. I talk to people of color a lot, but I don't think we ever talk about racism because I think that just sitting in and chatting as like people with people means a whole lot more than talking about like, and my issue is, is X, Y, or Z. And like, I feel oppressed in this way or not. Um, how often do you talk about race with other white people? So much more than black people. <laughs> so much more like like it seems like white people just like they want to talk about it all the time and it's like because they because everybody has an issue with looking in the mirror and not being able to say i'm a good person right so like for years people were sitting around saying like oh like i'm a good person because i go with the morality of like my religion or my country and it says do this and then all of a sudden social media is a big thing eight years ago and then all of a sudden, um, race is everywhere you look. And suddenly you're going and telling these people that they followed like what they were told was good. And then all of a sudden, now they're being told, oh, but like you're a man and you're white. So you are the problem. But what do you mean? I had, I had, I had two children. I supported my wife. I supported my kids. I volunteered at my church. I did all this good stuff. And all of a sudden you're telling me that like, I'm the problem. Like, like you feel let down by everyone and anything and you feel isolated and alone. I'm sorry. I can't go past that one. That's so loaded. I was muted. Sorry. Okay. There's a lot in 
I was making notes. <laughs> what I was doing because I was like, oh man, I got to remember that one. Yeah, no, I can't make it to the end of this one. The first, oh no, go ahead then. No, please, I, please. <laughs> so one thing I was thinking that people might say, a certain maybe group of folks might say is, um, well, he's not white, he's Middle Eastern. Mm, okay, okay. So what's the, like, I can just see that coming up. You know what I mean? Okay. What's the answer to that? Ethnicity is different than race. So ethnicity is your culture that's like happens on top of a racialized culture. Mm -hmm. So, and I've actually been like a really strong proponent of adding Middle Eastern North African into a racial demographic category for like the U.S. census, because Mm -hmm. right now the U.S. census only allows or like accepts Hispanic as an ethnicity in the United States. Oh, I know. Or other. and, And it really is. It's like Hispanic or other. Hmm. And they just recently added two or more races. Hmm. And so it's becoming more and more complicated. And yeah. so like, not only is it Middle Eastern that Sam's talking about, but also the Jewish identity too. Yeah. And there's a very long history of Jewish people not being identified within whiteness and white people not allowing Jewish people into whiteness. Right. Uh, and so that is, and should be its own episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and um in the spaces that i've been in there is more and more conversation about where is jewishness now Mm. in terms of its um identification or assimilation or amalgamation into the larger bucket of white culture uh and white people and so yeah there's this like historical appreciation and analysis and the current reality too uh, Jewish that a lot of Jewish people identify as white, and that a lot of white people identify other Jewish people as white. It's a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, one thing you did sorry. say was they added two other races to the sentence. Did you mean ethnicities, or am I confused? No, it's two two or more races. That's the mm. category. Two or more. It's gotcha. not that I don't know what those two are. It's that it's it's literally that's what it says. Two or more races, so that you could be biracial, triracial. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I was like, oh no, I'm lost (laughs) in a sea of verbiage. (laughs) Welcome. Here's an oar. Here's a little buoy safety. Oh, thanks. Now I get it. Okay. Two Mm -hmm. or more. Right. Right. But then what does that mean? Yeah. Right. What does that mean? And what are these pieces? Mm -hmm. Um, But there are a lot of Jewish people who identify as white, and there's some Jewish people who don't. Right. Um, and there are some people with a Middle Eastern identity uh, that identify as white, and there are some that don't. Right. This very particular person, when we put out all of the feelers and reachers for this focus group, we said, you have to identify as white. Gotcha. Okay. Good. And cool. Sam said, yeah, I do. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Sorry. I was just thinking about that. Yeah. Now we clear that up. Um, I already have the same amount of notes that I had for Jay. Um, and we have to stop. Okay. So. Go ahead, you go. Fire away. Start here. Um, there was some, so there's this like interesting through line for me right now about the scripts, the like, the predetermined scripts that he felt that he had to internalize in order to be a good person. Um, and so you were told that you, these are the things you have to do to be good, that 
you have a wife, that you have children, that you're married, uh, that you volunteer, you go to church, you do all of these things, and then suddenly you're the problem. There's that like script that you have to follow, which I think is really fucking fascinating because I, we talk a lot about how within this like larger fabric of destiny, white people are impacted by race and racism as well. And in much the same exact breadth and capacity, I think Sam is pointing on the ways that patriarchy and heteronormativity also impact him too. Right. That this idea that, oh, you have to have a wife and then you're a good person. Yeah. That script's driven into you. Having two kids has to be driven into you. Yeah. And it, it just, to me, it makes, it makes his answer to his sexuality so mm-hmm. much more enlightening because yes. he's like, oh no, no, I want to do this thing. Mm-hmm but I have to make sure that I am inebriated. Right. In so I could to, just say, oh, I was inebriated. Right. To cross through that script and say, right. oh, I can finally not have to memorize that script anymore. Right. And I can do what my my body or my heart wants to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought that was so freaking fascinating. Mm-hmm. How, I also thought it was really interesting how open he is. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I was sort of expecting, like now that I've listened to Jay's answers and I've listened to Sam's, I was sort of expecting Jay to be more open about his answers. But he was sort of mm. like, you know, like, oh, well, my my fiance is a person of color. And then but not d- didn't expound on that. Whereas mm-hmm. and he was like, and and these are the things that I am, uh, you know, my ancestry is, um, you know, but that side's a little squiffy. And then you know, with Sam, he's just like, well, my dad's racist. So we're going to go with my mom's. <laughs> so I, you know, I just, and then he was like, oh, I voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. And then also was like, my dad's so racist. So I don't want to be associated with him. Yeah. So it's just it's like, oh my gosh, you do contain multitudes. Right. I think you also brought up this other piece that I was thinking about with Jay that I wasn't able to fully articulate. And it was when he was talking about how often he talks with folks of color about race. And he said, Mm -hmm. oh, maybe one, four times max. But when I come home, I'm not coming home to like this all white space either. But like that space wasn't included in his one to four estimate, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. As if he's not talking about race and racism at home. And maybe he is, but it wasn't part of his like initial gut response of like, oh yeah, no, this is like when I wake up and go to sleep. Um, But back to Sam. How can you be like, oh no, but like not my dad's side? Like, can I, like, I'm trying to think about like a person's ability to compartmentalize your parents' teaching mm-hmm. and to be like, oh no, 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 like that was stupid. I'm not going to do that, but I'm going to do this other one. And like on a conscious level, sure. But there's so yeah. much unconscious shit where I'm like, oh God, my dad does this. Mm. Or, oh God, oh, my mom does this. I realized mm-hmm. that after she died, I was like, oh God, where do I? my mom does this. Mm-hmm. And I only know that because now that she's not here, it shows up in different ways of like, oh God, this reminds me of her. And I didn't, wasn't doing it consciously. Well, no. Sam has an incredible level of awareness though. Mm. At least so far. What like we've self-awareness, to. social awareness. But no, I would, I would say not social. I would say self. Mm, okay. And, and I think whether his awareness is is skewed one way or another by something else is a different thing altogether. But he seems to have, you know, I don't know. He takes up space in a way that I, with a confidence that I'm not used to, I think. 
Interesting. And that is is it like a white man confidence? No, it's just like an anybody confidence. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like I've never, yeah. Like I, was I experience like, oh. it as charisma. <laughs> That's how I experience it. Like <laughs> Sam is a very charismatic human. Mm, like I yeah. feel like you could drop Sam into just about any situation or scenario mm. and Sam would immediately be the cruise director. The tour guide with the umbrella. Yeah. With Everyone's like, eyes on me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> know where the conversation is going. Know where the next event was. That's true. Or at least rally the troops to go to the next thing. Yeah. 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 Two other things that I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. How much do you think about it? More often than not. So that to me, that numerical value is I'm having more thoughts about race and racism than I'm not thinking about race and racism. Mm-hmm. But then when you like forced an answer of like how many times a day, it was once a day. Yeah. So again, this like disconnect in frequency, but then how often are you talking about race with folks of color? Never. And his answer was not about his feelings, but rather he didn't want to hear folks of color's feelings. Because he said, I think it was, um, oh, my issue is X, Y, and Z. This is the way that I am oppressed. I thought that that was really interesting. I don't want to mm. talk to them because I don't want to hear their problems with race and racism. Because I think there's more value in talking about like what we have similar, like what we have together or like what we have together or what unifies us, but like not wanting to hear someone else's hurt or harm. I thought was well, a really interesting take. Right. And he didn't want to hear that with white people either. Oh yeah. He was like, no, was white people. Right. I know. He was like, white people want to talk about it all the time. That was a really red impression of Sam. Um, but yeah. Yep. So yeah, his, his, his like, uh, I don't want to talk to anyone about race or racism, like the negative right. impacts. Let's just like not even talk about it. Right. There's just so much with him, even like just from the word like go. Yeah. We're not even done with him yet. We're not even done with him yet. Let's play the rest of this thing. (laughs) How often do you talk about race online specific to like, like social media? Never. How comfortable are you talking about race and racism in general? Very comfortable. And what's your most recent level of education? I have a bachelor's degree. Yeah. He said he's very comfortable talking about race and racism. Mm. And he also said before that he never talks about it with people of color and he hates talking about it. With, well, he didn't say hates. That's wrong. It's, it's the implication. I hear the implication you, yeah. of not wanting to talk about uh, it with white people either. Right. So. That's that's a good catch. Yeah. So how are you? Thank you. A little star for me. A plus. Um, no, but no, it's because you brought that up. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I didn't even realize that he was like being weird right. about it. Right. Um, and then I was like, oh, shoot. So there's that. It's like with Jay's unconscious disparity. Is that disparity the right word? Between when he, you know, how much he talks about it and how comfortable right. he is. Right. Yeah. It's that same thing. I wonder if that's going to be a through line with everybody. I wonder if it will. I mean, we're two out of four people right now. Let's see if mm-hmm. it continues. I, it seems like it would for already like 50% of participants. I mean, we have a sample size of four. So this isn't like the largest or most. Right. 
thoughtful qualitative research on the planet well you gotta start somewhere gotta start somewhere all right well yeah let's go to this next human and there's t he's 44 years old lives in the suburbs is a current masters of social work student after a career in the high-end jewelry market political party if any i'm definitely not a party no i I find it all a bit suspect (laughs) (laughs) um religious affiliation if any um, decidedly anti-organized religion. If anything, I'd say I'm Buddhist. Um, my approach is sort of, yeah, mindfulness. That's my spirituality. Uh, partnership status, if any. Single. Who did you vote for in the 2016 election? Who was in the 2016 election? <laughs> um, it was Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Um, I would have voted for Hillary if I voted, and I'll admit that I've voted a limited amount of times in my life. Um, sure. But I've spent the past decade overseas, so that's part of the reason why. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, what about 2020? 2020, um, I didn't vote. Ethnicity? White. Can you pinpoint around when your family immigrated to the U.S., decade or point of origin? <laughs> sure. Uh, we came to the U.S. Uh, when I was... 10 years old so that would have been 87 mm-hmm. from england and you lived here that since then um well yes with the exception of the past decade and you said that yeah. okay are you familiar with the kinsey scale yes oh. i think i'm i'm always rated as a a friend of mine has uh, rated me alternatively as a kinsey one and a kinsey negative 40. Um, <laughs> So take that as you like. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, let me. <laughs> Again, Jenny starts explaining the Kinsey scale. Yeah, actually, you don't need to. I sort of recall. Yeah, no, he, he rates me as a zero, generally speaking. I think if I rated myself, I would say somewhere around zero to one. Zero to one. Okay. In your family growing up, were you raised to be racist? Or if not, how were you taught to not be racist? I was taught not to be racist, but there were decidedly um, racist things sort of within the culture of my upbringing in the sense that uh, actually in recent studies, uh, social justice class, there were things that were raised that, that allowed me to have some interesting conversations with family, pointing out the things that were decidedly racist and having discussions about them, which was uh, good. Which of these three ideas or movements do you most closely align with? All lives matter, black lives matter, blue lives matter, and why? Black lives matter. Because, I mean, well, I suppose that or all lives matter, but I feel that all lives matter is, or blue lives matter is decidedly, those are responses to black lives matter. So for me, black lives matter is what is the important thing. if anything, just uh, reducing any person's suffering. Um, But uh, yeah. How often do you think about race or racism? So not necessarily talking about it, but just, you know, do to do and you're thinking about it. Um, I think I'm probably actually since my recent class, actually quite a time before that, I'm cognizant of it daily. Mm. Um, I'd say I'm aware of daily the sort of impact I'm sort of, in a different way now than perhaps I was. How often do you talk about race with people of color? Uh, not that often. 
unfortunately. Yeah, um, I would say outside of the social justice class I took, I've engaged in a few conversations, but yeah, opportunities have not been many. Um, um, how often do you talk about, no, sorry. <laughs> how often do you talk, no, what is wrong with my face? Hang on. How often <laughs> do you talk about race with other white people? Um, more frequently than uh, with people of color. I mean, I'd say it, sort of, it will come up in a conversation at least once a month. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. How often do you talk about race online? So we're asking this question um, not at all. I'm just not an online person. Oh, okay. So no uh, social media or anything. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. How comfortable are you talking about race and racism in general? Comfortable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's your most recent level of education? Which you kind um, of already answered, but. I mean, currently my master's. So prior to that, my bachelor's. But um, yeah. Fucking tea. Tea. Smelling that tea. Tea with the tea. Tea with the tea. Pinky's up. Um, I still can't for the life of me. And this is just me and my own bias. Being a queer person, being non-binary, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. being HIV positive. Mm-hmm. I am so deeply connected and invested in what is going on politically because some very large parts of my body Mm. require a deep understanding of what's happening politically. Right. Well, that's, yeah, I was thinking that I was like, Oh, that's your privilege not to vote. And to like really think through of like, wait, who was in the 2016 election? Right. Right. Like that is seared into my memory. That is so indelible to 2016. Right. If someone were to just say the words 2016, I would go, oh, right, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump election. Right. He was also out of the country, though, at that point. And even though it was huge news, sometimes I think, you know, living here, it felt bigger, big, huge. Yeah. But maybe in other parts of the world, they don't have their their finger on the pulse of American politics. You know, like, I don't know. Right. I mean, that creates a really lovely and generously large excuse for him to like step into <laughs> if he wants to, but also like democracy. I think, yeah, just like my love letter to democracy again, like it's for those who show up right. one, and those who are allowed to show up can show up. Right. Um, but then to like completely be like, oh, I'm not even going to show up at all. Right. Because Sam did the same thing of like, oh, I didn't vote. Yeah. Well, they can't, they, you know, I don't want to say they, I mean, it gets, gets, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I feel the same, same way as a, a bisexual person with a uterus, Mm -hmm. you know, who identifies as female. Yeah. Um, so elections matter to me a lot. Yeah. Um, also, you know, and also, it's like, well, you, if that's your right not to vote, I guess. It's right. Yeah. It's like my eye is twitching because I don't really know. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's you also can do what you want to do. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, fine, whatever. Individually, yes. But it, it definitely comes from a place of, 
of thinking like, well, I'm not going to vote because I don't believe for either of them. It's like that individualistic thought process that you were talking about earlier instead of being like it's important that i vote because i have friends that are non-binary and black and native american and you know or whatever or i have a partner with uterus or Mm -hmm. you know healthcare. yeah Yeah. my food stamps cut off yeah right or yeah 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 i believe in centering the specific type of education within my child's public schooling and I'm sure that wasn't even a thought through any of their head. Like, I mean, oh, maybe. I need to vote for others also. Mm-hmm. Like, not, I'm not, and I'm not making right. a moral judgment on them. I'm just saying, like, that's what we're talking about. Right. Right. We that's usually vote out of our self interest. Yeah. Right. I mean, well, also just, and the male, white male privilege, right? Yeah. Like, they haven't been taught to think, like, oh, let's vote based on other people's needs too it's not just about you well and i think that that goes back into the it's not about an individualized experience this is about the collective experience right that's true yeah and so i think i am dipping dipping in a different way well no no no. well i think that it's important to point that out because i think at the top of the episode you were like no individualized experience is so important Mm -hmm. but we also so deeply tie to these like larger and broader themes of oh, well, this is just like a general stereotype or cliche of the white male experience. And here we're seeing it like fed to us in this very explicit way. And we're going, oh, wow. Yeah, that's actually kind of accurate. Yeah. We're it's sort of, yeah. 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 And and I mean, I still am trying to hold space for the fact that they are, they live, they, you know, have that right to choose if they're going to vote or not. I always think about that when I think about privilege and advantage. Mm-hmm. It's not that we don't want other people to have privilege or advantage. It's that we want to, everyone, everyone should have privilege and everyone should have that advantage. Everyone right. should Everybody have the ability should. to go like, oh, I don't want to vote. It doesn't matter. Yes. Everyone should have that privilege. Um, yeah. Right. Like when, you know, it was Biden and Trump and there was a lot of white folks that I saw on social media that were like, you know, black voters need to show up and black voters. And I was mm. like, at mm. the time, <laughs> at the time I was like, yeah, if, you know, let's all go to, you know, cause I'm an idiot. And I was like, yeah, no. And then uh, now I'm like, but why is it there? <laughs> why do yeah. they have to show up? Yeah. Why aren't we fucking showing up? Yeah. And also a lot of our States make it so they can't show up. Right. Right. <laughs> Get it, Jenny. Get it. <sighs> I know. I hate how anyway, we're we're not here about me. Um I just hate I just hate how blind I've been. That's all. No, welcome. Welcome. Mm-hmm. A thousand times welcome. I appreciate that. Um there's a few more things about teeth that I would love to talk about. Oh, go, go, go. What I also the, have another thing, but go. okay. What does the Kenzie scale one to negative forty mean? <laughs> also, why did I laugh so hard about that? I was like <laughs> I don't know. That's so funny. Even listening back on it, I'm laughing too. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. You did. Why were we laughing? Why is that funny? Why is that fucking funny? There's nothing funny about that. I am so exclusively heterosexual that I'm going to break the scale. I am like anti whatever. Like, what? Like, I don't even know what it means Mm -hmm. to like break the scale past. I don't either. 
I don't either. Does it mean you like hate gay people? Like what did this person believe when they were mm. talking to you that you're a negative 40? Like I just read that or receive that as like a queer person of like, oh, you could be like more than a zero or like less than that. Like how how does that figure? I mean, the scale is just it's an imperfect measure of like something that's hard to measure, right? Absolutely. So so that friend took it to I love that they've had a specific conversation about the scale too like where who does that so lovely I I know um so this also to me connects to so like you're talking you're having conversations about sexuality which is great mm -hmm. we don't know when that's happening like that hasn't been identified for us but then Mm -hmm. as soon as we're talking about racism or talking about it with folks of color this 44 year old says that a class he took recently has mm-hmm. made him have these conversations. Mm-hmm. So that means within he did not start having these conversations, at least like in communicating that to us, he did not start having conversations of race and racism until he was in his mid-40s. Right. Or early and 40s. then he's very comfortable yeah. about yeah. having these conversations. There that is again. Very comfortable, yeah. And I don't know about you, but I'm not very comfortable doing anything until I've done it a lot. Now that's just me. Yeah. Right, 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 right. But to be able to take one class and be like, oh, this one class has like changed my experience. I can definitely empathize with that, but I don't oh, feel God, yeah. like it. Um, and I don't think that this is what T was saying either, that it's no. like made him this expert or now he's this like connoisseur of Oh no. Yeah, sorry, that wasn't what I was implying. Either. No, that's I didn't I didn't receive it that way, but I feel like there's this other piece of, oh well, I'm immediately comfortable doing this thing when we all, I think within this like whiteness or so many of us within whiteness are so uncomfortable talking about whiteness mm-hmm. that one 14 week class that met once a week for like two hours, three hours maximum is going to do that for you. Like mm. that's, To me, it turns into this like, oh, if you, and like I experienced this a lot, I think within these answers of if you talk about it even just a little bit, that makes you comfortable. Mm. but it's actually not in depth. It's not thorough. It's not cross-racially. It's not uh, like intra-racially, like with other white people, Mm -hmm. but like just thinking about it enough or taking that one class Mm -hmm. is enough. That's all you need. You don't need any more. And we become these like pseudo experts in race or racism. Right. And he did also say, you know, not enough. I don't have these conversations enough. But then again, he that. said that he was that. very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. How often do you talk with folks of color? Not often, unfortunately. Yeah. And white people about once a month. Once a month. Yeah. I wonder where that comes up. Probably like maybe news. So who knows? Mm-hmm. I guess who knows. Right. Um, There's also, so this is the, the third time that it's happened. Mm-hmm. I'm now seeing this other pattern of you asked how were you taught not to be racist? No one's answering that question. Mm. No one has answered that question. Oh people yeah, are, I guess that's true. Yeah, people are only answering the, well, were you taught to be racist? Or if not, how are you taught not to be racist? And so I think to, like that implies one, that everyone was taught to be racist, which mm-hmm. I think they're all articulating in, in some like varied capacity from over sure. to implicit. Sure. Um, but that we're not using that language and how interesting that is that we're like dancing or skirting around that. Mm-hmm. 
You know, with T also, there was like this, and this happens, I feel like a lot with, I mean, he didn't specifically live in, in England the whole time mm-hmm. um, that he was out of the country for sure. But I feel like this happens with British folks sometimes where they're like that, like British folks that have, you know, either bebopped in and out of the U.S. or like live in the U.S., expats, whatever. Um, they're like, well, I wasn't here then anyway, because there's a lot of England likes to pretend that it wasn't, you know, they're like, yeah, the U.S. is awful. <laughs> They're super racist. My mom talks about this all the time, like how when in schools they were taught like, oh, yeah, the the United States is they're bad. They own slaves. Tisk tisk. Woof. But it's like <laughs> glass houses, England. Yeah. Also, where did where did all those folks come from? <laughs> also, if you look at the trajectory of slavery it starts with england but it's fine um but it was not to you know i mean that's where i come from so you know that's my ancestry um so i guess i should probably take responsibility for that um but i just noticed that that very like you know my british folks that i know are like well i wasn't here anyway so right right i didn't vote because i wasn't here hmm that's a really good framing of that. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. I mean, it does feel good to be able to be like, well, I wasn't a part of that awful thing. Right? Right. Well, I think that <clears throat> this brings up a really important point that we're like talking about how, you know, a majority of white people, when we immigrated to the U.S., we were fleeing some type of harm in mm-hmm. Europe. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't, because that's kind of like where our ancestry kind of stops. Mm-hmm. Um, through our family lineages, we never think about the ways that we perpetrated harm within our ancestral lines before that. Right. Um, because when we talk about intergenerational harm and how it goes back 300 years, mm-hmm. if your family came here, like Sam's, like T's, within the past 100 years, you still have 200 years of intergenerational trauma that you're holding in your body right now that is located and housed within Europe. Right. Or like within Sam's case, like within the Middle East. Yeah. Syria and Turkey and Israel. Yep. And so that's being played out here too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Okay, let's listen to this last, this last lovely human. Human. Lastly, there's Tej. He's 34 years old, urban leaning, suburban, and works as a janitor in an education setting. Political party, if any. Uh, it's Democrat. Religious affiliation, if any. Uh, I'm not affiliated with an organization. I'd say I'm agnostic. Partnership status, if any. Uh, I'm in a domestic partnership, not married. Um, who did you vote for in the 2016 presidential election? The 2016 one was Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Yeah, I didn't vote in that one, but I voted in the more recent one. Oh, okay. Who'd you vote for it? Not Trump. Um, what's your ethnicity? White. Can you pinpoint around when your family immigrated to the U.S.? Like what decade or point of origin? On my mom's side, my mom's mom's side is Italian. So they were here in the early 19th century, maybe the 30s or 40s. Uh, before that, on my 
dad's side and my mom's dad's side, they've, as far as I know, been here since the Mayflower or soon after. Jenny explains the Kinsey scale for Teach. Probably a zero to a one. Zero to a one. Okay. In your family growing up, were you raised to be racist? Or if you weren't, how were you taught to be not racist? In my immediate family, I was taught to be not racist, but I have a lot of extended family that, you know, swings the other way. Um, how was I taught to be not racist? I don't, that's a tricky one because I, I came from a very white area, so there really wasn't any diversity, at least when I was up until about the age of 12. So as far as like inclusion and that sort of thing, I don't think there was anything really put into practice that helped me with that. Gotcha. It was just kind of, I just remember my mom, you know, uh, preaching inclusivity, whatever, in, in a hypothetical way. Sure. <laughs> okay. Which of these three ideas or movements do you most closely align with? All lives matter, black lives matter, blue lives matter, and why? Black lives matter. Because that movement already understands that all lives and blue lives matter. It's just they're trying to remind people that black lives matter too, when a lot of times people forget that. How often do you think about race or racism? So not necessarily talking about it, but just in your everyday going about your business and you're thinking about it. A lot. I think about it a lot. My son, I have a son who's nine. He's biracial. So his mom is black. I'm white. So a lot of times the, you know, race relations in the country and in the world will, I take them personally because of that, you know, it's just, um, a topic of interest for that reason. You know, I worry a lot about him and just about those things that someone of a, you know, anyone with minority children would worry about. How often do you talk about race with people of color? Really not often. I mean, I don't really have a lot of friends of color these days. Um, I do talk about it often with white people, but um I mean, as far as minorities of, you know, people who are in my life, it's really just my son's mother and her parents. And we don't really speak about race too often. How often, you said, how how often would you say you talk about race with white people? Um, I talk about it with my partner a lot. She's white. And so it's pretty frequently. Um, A lot of times has to do with issues in the news or, you know, day to day things that that pop up um probably daily how often do you talk about race or engage with um about race online like social media nowadays i don't really but i used to i used to i used to try to call out my family members a lot like i was speaking about earlier the some extended family who has have racist tendencies i feel like i would often push back every time I could um, if they posted something racist or, you know, questionable anyway. Um, I stopped doing that because it didn't, I don't think any minds were changed. Um, it, I just, I don't know if that's where my energy is best used. How comfortable are you talking about race and racism in general? Comfortable. Um, as comfortable as I can be with getting uncomfortable. I mean, I, I think it's important to talk about, and I feel like as white people, we don't really talk about it as much. We're kind of just on top of the food chain. <laughs> I mean, even those of us who, 
want to see a more inclusive world i feel like it's it's easy to just kind of blend in and not really fight the good fight so i can't remember what the question actually was oh that's okay i said how comfortable are you talking about race or racism pretty comfortable i'd say i try to do it i try to make an active effort to speak about it what's your most recent level of education uh, i did a year of college His answers were a little different. Yeah, they were. And my assumption would be that that has a lot to do with his son, like his involvement in his son's Mm. life. Mm -hmm. But that may not be completely accurate. Um, Right. We can speculate for sure. Sure. Right, right. I just want to make sure that I'm not like, and this is why. Um, Because I don't know. But I, yeah. Yeah, he says in these like really beautiful ways. I think about it all of the time. All the time. Because I worry mm-hmm. about my kid. About my kid, yeah. Yeah. And so he's like deeply, deeply connected mm-hmm. through his child mm-hmm. into this broader conversation of racial justice. Mm-hmm. Only through his child, though. He was very clear about that. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. He's not talking about it with anybody else. No. Uh, let me rephrase that. He's not talking about it with folks of color. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But as with his partner on a daily Mm -hmm. basis. Who's white, but they have those conversations. Yeah. Right. And I think so. Yeah. There's that other interesting part too, where, um, there's this, I think, larger narrative around, um, people with college degrees, Mm -hmm. um, who, are more connected to social justice spaces. Um, and so here is this person who doesn't have a college degree, Mm-mm. but was even reiterating some talking points of the left by saying, um, I'm comfortable with it, but however much you can be uncomfortable with it. I know. Right? That like this human is doing work outside of an academic setting or circle. Yeah. About race and racism. Right. Which I think sits in really stark contrast to someone like T, who and is like a decade older than T. Yeah, yeah, uh, and is entering the conversation for the first time. So yeah, like something's different for sure. Yeah, there's a diff. Yeah, yep. And he also didn't vote in the 2016, no. which was fucking crazy to me. Yes. Well, and but okay, so it was fucking crazy to me, and then also. I remember talking to white folks during that election mm-hmm. and like us talking about who we were going to vote for and me being like, oh, Hillary, for sure. Yeah. And having people say either they weren't going to vote or they were voting for Trump because they hated Hillary so much, mm. which is a different conversation, I'm sure. But I right. just that's that's what I heard a lot from from white folks. Right. That I was, I mean, I didn't sit down and do a census or anything, but you know, the people that I knew that would be, were willing to talk to me about it. It wasn't because they liked Trump necessarily, some of the folks that I talked to, it was that right. they hated Hillary that much more. That much, yeah. I think, too, uh, geographically, it's important to point out your New York stateness again, though. I feel so exposed. Yeah, I mean, but not New York Cityness. Oh yeah, no. That's You're, very different. Yeah, yeah. I'm and one so of those wonderfully forgotten 
<laughs> industrial towns of New York State. <clears throat> um, yeah, there's a few states where you can totally vote ideologically mm-hmm. rather than practically. And if you like New York State and California are two such states because they are so heavily democratic and I've leaned democratic for so long. And so I understand that there'd be some people to be like, no, like even though Hillary's going to take the state, mm-hmm. that kind of ideological push. Um, I guess I just didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> right. Well, I think that that again goes to that like privilege of, oh, no, 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 no. I don't, doesn't really matter. I'm going to come here on ideological means rather than. Right. And also I, I shouldn't paint myself as like some, some Superman of social justice at the time. I wasn't even, that wasn't why I was voting for Hillary. Just to be clear, Mm -hmm. I cannot sit in a seat that says, Oh, I voted for Hillary because of, you know, social justice. (laughs) No. Interestingly, Tish also said that his ethnicity is white. I know. I heard that. I was like, Lauren's going to say nothing about that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that means. I don't know either. I don't know. I was just like, okay. You know, I think a lot of people don't know the difference between ethnicity and race. (sighs) Okay. I'll say my like really ridiculous, Mm -hmm. controversial moment here. Controversial. Ready I, for it. I experience sex and gender in very similar ways as I do race and ethnicity. Mm-hmm. Sex is something that you are assigned, something that's just like coming with your body. Mm-hmm. And your ethnicity and your gender are these cultural, socially defined things. Mm. And so they are, they can be in complete odds with your race, with your sex, Mm -hmm. and they can be the exact same as your race or your sex. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I hear someone say white though, it just like takes, it like becomes a little jarring, Um, but it can also be true. Mm -hmm. Like when I think about like the white American experience, like that I think is an ethnicity, like Mm. the whole, um, when I think about like an American moment, mm-hmm. uh, like a white American moment, like the, like a 4th of July, Lee Greenwood, proud to be an American mm-hmm. fireworks barbecue. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Like anything that's like middle-class fancy on Instagram, like that kind <laughs> of, it's just like so hardcore white culture mm-hmm. to say that, oh yeah, I'm white. It's like, oh, I can like filter you into that schema of like that's where you belong. Like bald eagles wearing sunglasses <laughs> on the shirt that you bought from Walmart that says, don't mess with this. Right. But that's not, well, I can't say that's not who Tej is because I don't know Tej. But right. that's right. not the answers he gave to the rest of the questions did not <laughs> paint him. Indicate, yeah. Yeah. As that kind of human. I'm also a very awkward laugher. I realize people say stuff that's weird and I'm like, because I don't know how to like contextualize it in my body. I think. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Wow. With that one little word, we were like, what? What? Yeah. We really kind of zoned in. I think there's just some stuff that we haven't been able to articulate yet in the series. Right. Well, that's a lot. 
top of the food chain. Yeah. He, I feel like he probably heard that somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like in a, like in, in a sarcasm way and the way he delivered it, maybe, although I'm making conjecture, he said what he said. I don't know, but like, right. yeah, there was something in me that just was, it felt like a scratch on the chalkboard. Ooh. Yeah. Yep. Like, Oh, like, I don't like the way that this sounds. And also, but like, historically is he wrong right yeah and i think that that to me is my like white shame coming up of like mm. oh no no no, we're not supposed to talk about white people power and privilege it makes me feel gross and uncomfortable right it makes me feel bad about myself right yeah, yeah. so i don't do to talk about it i think that that's where that scratch comes from mm, i see what you're saying but then i think there's this other part of like oh wow this is this historical trope that is slowly going away mm-hmm and so we need to start honoring the present truth as well of in a lot of ways, white people don't experience themselves, ourselves as being the top of the food chain anymore in every single space. Right. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. That's good. And that's also neutral. Yeah. Neutrality is a new concept for me personally, in terms of everything. Well, I don't think everything can be neutral. I don't think everything should be neutral, but there is, we can also just like not have an emotional experience around it. Yeah. Which is not how I live my life. (laughs) That's what I'm saying is like, I can't not have an emotional experience about everything that happened. Right. I'm looking through my notes to see if there's anything else. Yeah. I've got two more things. At least 2016, not voting again. Mm -hmm. 2020, who did you vote for? Not Trump. Just that there's so that calculated, right? That thing of like whoever isn't Trump, right? Yeah. It would have been anybody, right? Could have been any, but just not that human. Um, but then also, we had someone name their like U.S. roots, which is great with the family going back to the Mayflower. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so that was really lovely. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that like really beautiful moment that Tish was talking about with trying to engage his. Oh, um, on social. Family. Yeah. Yes. But and the way he was doing it wasn't helping. The amount, see, that to me is self actualization. Like that to me is self reflection. Yeah, for being sure. Being self aware. Like when you were talking about that with Sam. Yeah, that's not the, what I meant. I probably used the wrong words. And it may be the same, or it's just different because it shows up differently in different people. But that to be like, oh, yeah, this isn't working. I don't think no, I'm changing yeah. minds. Yeah. By self-aware with Sam, I meant like aware of himself in space, but it Mm -hmm. doesn't, yeah, it doesn't translate the way that it did with Tej in that, in that moment where he talked about that. Yeah. Right. Maybe self-focused is more with Sam. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. All right. You want to keep fortune on? I think at this point we'll end episode one. Yes. Should we do like a little thing where I'm like, hey, friends, thanks for listening. 
just a little reminder, rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends. It helps us out. (laughs) Bye. There, I just did it.